All right, so we thought it would be a good idea to involve you guys in the engagement of the service. So we actually asked the Lawahis to read our passage for us today. Um, it is uh, Daniel 4, verses 1 through 37. So they're going to go ahead and read that for us, and then we'll get started. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by that word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose, in whose branches the birds of the heaven live. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field. And let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. 
It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. There may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is this not is not this great Babylon, which I have built by mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still my greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. All right. Well, I, I want to be straightforward with you guys this morning. There can be this tendency with obscure passages like this in the Old Testament for us to observe them at a distance as if we're almost disconnected from the narrative. And this passage in, in Daniel 4, it's, it's not just a window for us to peer into a story within the Bible. It's actually a doorway. It's an invitation. Uh, I believe that God has something in store for us through this passage, and he's inviting us into um, more. He's inviting us into a, a deeper way of life. Um, he's actually inviting us, as Kristen already mentioned, um, he's inviting us to lift our eyes to him through this passage. And so in, in our season where we're all watching this from a screen, uh, Meredith and I, uh, we live in the guest house of the Regan Strifes. Shout out Regan Strifes. I can't hear you, but you better be cheering right now. Um, 
but we, we live in their back house and so we've been quarantining with them. So I've been where you're sitting, um, like there's this screen there. And I know that in this kind of season with that physical disconnect, this digital uh, disconnect, there's Wi-Fi in between us, there's bandwidth in between us. It can be easy to assume that messages like this aren't actually for us. We can think things like, oh, well, he, he's not actually talking directly to me. And you're right, I'm, I'm talking to a camera right now, um, but I believe that God wants to speak directly to every single one of us this morning. That God wants to meet us where we are. That it, I, I believe that if you let him, every single one of us will meet with God and actually find greater freedom today. This text, the heartbeat of this text, will actually enable us to come to a greater acceptance of who we are, um, but also enable us to walk freely and confidently in the grace of God and His purposes for our lives. So we're just going to dive straight into our text. This is verse 1 of Daniel 4. Um, read this with me. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth peace be multiplied to you he begins by giving us his big idea it's the thing that he doesn't want us to miss he shares almost this universal and even missional aspect the na this missional nature of what he is about to dress he says every nation language all peoples that dwell in all the earth he was stopping at nothing to make for sure that every single person heard what he was about to say if nebuchadnezzar would have been alive today he would have called a press conference he would have used instagram twitter facebook he would have made for sure that every single person on the known world in the known world where was able to hear what he wanted to share and then he gives us a blessing he says peace be multiplied to you now this doesn't sound like the nebuchadnezzar that we've been reading about over the past few weeks in chapters one two and three you know, the guy that was threatening to chop off heads from bodies and throw young boys into the fiery furnace. Like, so what changed him? Like, what, what changed in his life? Nebuchadnezzar had encountered God. He, he knew what God did, and he wants the world to know. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Now, if we look at verse 3, it says, How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Verse 3 is a short praise, and these words recall Psalm 145, verse 13, where it says, How great are God's miracles, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. So in other words, there is no one like this God in what he does. And there is no one like this God in what he has. Nebuchadnezzar's worldview has been flipped on its head. 
his his spiritual way of life is upside down because of God's work in him. He was a changed man. And, and he puts his conclusion in his introduction. And that's that's really important. He doesn't just go into his story and then wait till the end to conclude. No, he actually tells us the big idea right here at the beginning. And he, he wants us to focus on something specific. It's, it's the glorious, sovereign God. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures for genera- from generation to generation. And honestly, that's my encouragement for you guys this morning. Focus on God. I lift my eyes to the hills for where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Our God, he is all-powerful. He is glorious. No one is like him in what he does or has. There is no power on earth that can usurp his purposes. There is no one more powerful on earth than the Most High God. And this is a good thing. Nebuchadnezzar believes so, to the point where he made for sure that the known world heard about it, and to the point where it was recorded in Scripture, and we get to read his testimony today. There are so many stories of the power of God, even in our community at Anthem. Like, there are different stories that we could tell about the miracles, the signs, the wonders that God has done for us. But no story compares to the story of the power of God drawing people to himself in repentance. This is the king of the known world at this point in time. And and God can save him? Like, this, this means as followers of Jesus that we are going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one day. That is an amazing story. And so... Grab your popcorn. The show's about to start. This is the conversion story of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is at the height of his success. Um, There's not a known nation that is not under his control. Um, There's not a square foot of land that he does not own. He has found all worldly comfort and pleasure. It says in verse 4 that he he is at ease. He is in prosperity within his palace. He's he's found the comfort that the world can bring him, all of it, as much as possible. But it's it's funny that God coming to him in a dream, something something as simple as that seems to rattle his cage. And as what the world promises doesn't necessarily deliver, he freaks out and he goes and he tries to figure out things, he asks questions, he tries to find answers from his advisors, his astrologers, his magicians, and and once he's exhausted all of his resources, he turns to Daniel. And it's interesting to me that Daniel is his chief advisor, and yet he doesn't go to Daniel first. But anyways, he, he ends up going to Daniel and as the promises of this world and what it actually delivers, as that gap widens, the power of God, the people of God, it's an opportunity for the power of God through Daniel to step in. So Daniel 
listens to Nebuchadnezzar tell his dream, and then like a caring and loving friend, Daniel counsels Nebuchadnezzar through the interpretation, and he says, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, God has come to you, and he, 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 is, he has given you all of this. He, all of the success that you have, it's because of him. But you, you have squandered it. You, you have handled it poorly. You have been unjust, unrighteous. And because of this, God is going to humble you. He's going to strip everything away from you. And then you will go insane. And, but Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, if, if you return to the Lord, if you break off your sin, perhaps God might lengthen your prosperity. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He doesn't listen to his chief advisor's advice. He continues down his own path, and then he's humbled. The kingdom is stripped from him, and he goes insane. He starts to act like one of the beasts of the field for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, um, this is what he says in verse 34. So Daniel 4, verse 34, it says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returns to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returns to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So notice at the beginning of this, Nebuchadnezzar's story is in the middle of two songs. Now, if you read these two songs, these two songs of praise, it seems like they kind of overlap in their lyrics. So it's almost as if it's one song. Almost like Nebuchadnezzar in poetic form is expressing to us that his story is wrapped up in the sovereign power and ultimate purposes of God. Now, there, there was a, a, a recent testimony that was expressed to us a, a few months ago uh, in the version of a song. Or actually, it was an album. That the album was called Jesus is King, and the artist was none other than Kanye West himself. Now, it may just be me, but I, I feel like these two stories just connect so much. I can't help but connect them. Two men at the height of success, having access to all that the world can offer. The Lord meets with them. He encounters them. He draws them to himself, and then they write a song to tell about their testimony. Jesus was king, or is king for Kanye 
God is sovereign for Nebuchadnezzar. What was true about Nebuchadnezzar and his experience with God is still true for us today. God is on his throne even now, and he is in the business of drawing people to himself. What was true of God for Nebuchadnezzar is still true for us today. The same message stands even for us. God is in control. He has the power to save anyone. And he decides who is allowed to rule. And no one can usurp his purposes. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. All of it. No matter what he wills, what he desires, God is able to do. No questions asked. Romans 9 says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it, being salvation, depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So it is not up to us or our ability to exert some sort of discipline or pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps effort. No, it all depends on the grace and power and mercy of God. Read Daniel 4.34 again with me. It says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. Now, here we go. He starts to talk about him. He says, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is sovereign. He is creator. He governs. He rules. He works. Now, I could go on and on here, but I think we get the gist. Now, now, these are hard verses, aren't they? They, they grate against us. Don't we find ourselves automatically drawn to maybe John 3.16 or some verse about the abounding love of God? Don't we automatically feel pulled away from verses like this into maybe Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd? Don't we immediately feel this pull away from this sovereign, powerful, and even terrifying God? We want him to be domesticated. Oftentimes we assume this posture that God is this cosmic gumball machine that we can just pull the lever and get what we want, when we want, how we want. But no, that is not the God that we serve. He is king. God is in control. And the sovereign God, this sovereign God, uses faithful, resilient disciples to draw people to himself, to establish his kingdom in the world. Now, I just want you to see how Daniel kind of interacts with Nebuchadnezzar in this moment. In verse 19, turn over to verse 19 with me real quick. It says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, has dis was dismayed for a while. 
and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belshazzar said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Can't you just hear Daniel's humility in the way that he approached Nebuchadnezzar in this, in this scene? You know, I love that Daniel was willing to express this dismayal and 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 the fact that his thoughts alarmed him instead of putting up a facade that he understood what was going on and he had complete clarity. Some translations, when it says dismayed and alarmed, use the words like perplexed and even and even terrified. Perplexion is oftentimes an appropriate response. In these times in which we live, it's okay to feel perplexed and terrified. So many of us are, are looking for answers right now. We're trying to define the season that we're in and try to interpret what's going to happen next. And isn't that just our way of trying to find control? In James 4.13, these words have been ringing so true for me during this season. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So in other words, we, we actually don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And oftentimes we think that to, to create this presentable version of ourselves, we need to have answers. I love, again, that Daniel recognized that he was confused and he didn't feel the need to put on a facade. There's so much humility in that. In our current moment, it's okay to not know. Confusion could be an appropriate response. So Daniel expresses humility, but let's continue on. I want to show us another moment. Um, where Daniel shows us how he's walking and interacting with Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 27, it says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Can't you hear Daniel's compassion and love in this response? This is the king that destroyed his nation, that killed family members and, and friends. And yet, this prophet, Daniel, goes from being the prophetic interpreter in this situation and then transition into being a pastoral counselor and begins to encourage and even try to direct his friend by saying, like, hey, like, there, there's a way for you to get out of this. There's an opportunity for your kingdom to continue to flourish, repent, practice righteousness, show mercy to the oppressed. He's, he's showing so much compassion 
to Nebuchadnezzar in this moment. So Daniel shows humility. He's also revealing his compassion. And then he also expressed the love of the Father and stewarded um, what was entrusted to him well. So this is more implied in the last verses, more verse 28 through 37. But when Nebuchadnezzar is, is humbled, when things are stripped from him and he goes insane, it, it's about seven years of him being distanced from reigning in the kingdom, from being the king, from ruling. And, and again, this is implied, but if godless, sinful, pagan people uh, were taking care of the kingdom when he was away, then this would be the perfect opportunity to overthrow the kingdom. But Nebuchadnezzar goes right back to ruling after the seven years. How is that even possible? See, at this point in time, Daniel um, had come to be the second in command. He was Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand guy, his chief advisor. So you can almost assume that Daniel, while Nebuchadnezzar was on his hiatus, was actually taking care of the kingdom. Daniel was carrying with great stewardship the things that God had entrusted to him. God is in control. And he uses resilient disciples to carry his kingdom into the world. If this is true, what does that mean for us? One, we, we don't have to worry or fear the powers of this world. If God is sovereign, there is nothing that can stand in his way. As followers of Jesus, we can stand confidently knowing that nothing will shake his purposes. No human power. No natural disaster. No natural power. Everything can be stripped away from us, but no matter what happens, God is still on the throne. He still reigns. Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, if God reigns, we do not have to worry or be afraid. Two, as a follower of Jesus, we get to participate in bringing his kingdom into the world. God used guys like, or like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, to bring Nebuchadnezzar to himself. That, that's just, that's insane to me. That's crazy. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17 with me. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ, get this, reconciled us to himself, and gave who? Us the ministry of reconciliation, bringing us back to right relationship with God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As followers of Jesus, we are ambassadors for our king. And this was true in the beginning. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the world. He, he told them that your job is to be representatives on my behalf, rule this earth on my behalf. As followers of Jesus, we get to actually step back in to the right ordering of the cosmos. We step back into the way we were meant to live as ambassadors for the sovereign king. We get to participate with him in carrying his kingdom to the world, in drawing people to himself. So one, we do not have to worry. Two, we can participate. And three, we are being invited into humble repentance. So through a dream and the interpretation of Daniel, God has said to Nebuchadnezzar, I've done all of this. Now I have your attention. Return to me. Break off your sin. The ball was in Nebuchadnezzar's court. He had the opportunity to repent. What might God have to do to get your attention? Will you listen to him? Could God be trying to get your attention through our current circumstance? Hasn't our current pandemic done a crazy job at revealing our shortcomings? There were things in my life that have been stripped away from me, even, I mean, just simple things that I didn't even realize I was drawing from for my comfort and for um, my, my peace and my ease in this world. And these things have been stripped away and I'm recognizing, oh, oh my gosh, I've got a lot to work on. Now, I'm not saying that God caused this. And we've been talking about that for the past few weeks. But there is an invitation in this. I do believe that God is speaking in the midst of this current moment to us. Could he be possibly trying to get your attention? Nebuchadnezzar tells us this story as a praise, but it's also a warning. God is king. And then the last verse in our passage, in verse 37, it says, And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He won't find that on a coffee cup. Have you ever noticed how easy it is for us to have this perspective that we can live into what God calls us to without also stepping into repentance? I grew up in Odessa, Texas, and, and my mom is a gardener. And now the problem with being a gardener in Odessa is that Odessa is a desert. And so the soil is really dry and really hard. And my mom, she just has a green thumb. So she was always able to make things grow. But like, I mean, I would go out there. I'd try to help her every once in a while. I wasn't much help, honestly. 
but like you couldn't just put sod on the soil and um or on the ground and then expect to put the seeds in and something flourish you actually had to do a little bit more work uh, see the reason it didn't work is because the soil was was dry and hard and if a seed began to take root it wouldn't be able to actually dig into and place more deeper roots uh th that allows it to flourish um you, you actually had to break up the soil you had to like dig into it and break it up so that the seed could actually take root and then grow repentance is the process of breaking up the soil so that new life can grow as paul writes to the church in corinth second corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 it says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death those who are to enter god's kingdom must pass through the door of repentance repentance is a whole life change a commitment to put aside our own pattern of behavior or thought and to align with god's desire for redemption and reconciliation this is why repentance is so important repentance is powerful because in a world of illusion and of putting your best foot forward, where we project the image that's always perfect and wonderful. We do it in social media. We do it on the internet. We do it in our workplaces, in schools. Repentance is the acceptance of reality. It is the pursuit of authenticity. It's the recognition that we all fall short of the glory of God, that we're all in need of grace and no one can claim to be God's superior. Repentance is the acceptance of reality. But repentance also creates freedom. It says, I, I know I can't do this on my own, but that's okay because I know that God is in control. It relieves us from the pressure to feel like we need control. We need to, to be in control. Repentance creates freedom, and it's also a wild and shameless sprinting embrace towards love. In Mark 1, Jesus says, The time has come, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like the kingdom, the sovereign reign and rule of God is so close you can touch it. Repent. And believe in the gospel. What is this gospel? That the mighty God, sovereign king of the universe, stepped down from his throne and walked into, moved into our cul-de-sac. He lived among us. He walked with us. He lived the perfect sinless life that you and I could not live. He died on a cross for our sins and three days later rose victoriously conquering the grave, sin, hell, death. Because of Jesus, we can have right relationship with God. Because of Christ, we can step back into the fullness of life that God has to offer. This is the gospel. Nebi, Nebuchadnezzar gave us his story for one reason. When he came to his senses, 
it says he lifted up his eyes. And if he were here today, I think he'd probably say the same thing to us. Lift up your eyes. I lift my eyes to the hills, the psalmist says, for where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Now that word help, it, it can kind of seem derogatory sometimes. Oh, I don't, I don't need help. Why would I need help from someone else? But this word help in the original language, it, it means helmet. It's, it's the protector. It's the thing that was enabling you to fight well. The thing that was enabling you to carry yourself into the battle, into the battle of this world well. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Lift up your eyes. Do you see your glorious king? He is calling to you. Every single one of us, wherever we are, he is speaking to you. Lift up your eyes. So in close, I, I, I want to invite us all to, to close our physical eyes, but then lift up the eyes of our souls to the Lord. And if you're comfortable, you can even open your hands. And this, this, is, a, um, this is a posture of willingness and openness that kind of also orients our souls to be willing to listen to what God might want to do in us. There's nothing special about it, but uh, it's just a posture that might help us in this next moment. So as you close your eyes and then lift up the eye of your soul to your king, what is he saying to you? Is he saying, I'm in control. You don't have to worry. Is he saying, partner with me? I, I have purpose for your life. Or is he saying, the time has come. The kingdom of heaven is in your reach. Repent and believe in the gospel. Maybe it's a combo of all three. For some of us, maybe as we were listening to the story of Nebuchadnezzar, um, we felt our heart begin to tug and relate to some of those moments where we've accomplished some measure of success in this world. And in this moment, we're beginning to realize that none of those things actually fulfilled the, the desire uh, that our souls had. We needed something more. Every single one of us have had things stripped away from us in this season. Could God be trying to get your attention? Lift up your eyes. For some of us, maybe this is the first time you've ever found yourself lifting up your eyes. The Bible says, and we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into one image from one degree of glory to the next. In other words, as we behold the glory of Jesus, as we lift our eyes to him, we are transformed. We already read this passage. It says uh, in Second uh, Corinthians that those who are in Christ they are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. 
as you lift up your eyes to Christ, this is a transformation process. You are a new person. The Bible says in Romans 10 that those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus, God wants right relationship with you. Lift your eyes to him. And so if that's you, if you were, if maybe even last week you saw or the sermon, you saw our Easter online gathering and there was something tugging at your heart and you didn't know what it was, let me help you clarify that moment. God was calling you to lift your eyes to him. So as, as we close, I would invite you to just begin to Pray in your own words what you are feeling to the Lord. And I would invite you to pray with me. Lord, we love you. You are king. You are glorious. You are in control of our circumstances. For those that have lost their jobs or are afraid for their livelihoods, God, I pray that you would give them comfort that you are in control. That we don't know why you would allow suffering in this time, but that we do know why you haven't done it. Like We do know why it's not because um, you don't love us. Like we, we can stand in confidence that you love us that you sent your son to die for us. And he who did not spare his own son, how will he not then in him graciously give us all things? Thank you for your love. Jesus, We come to you recognizing that you are in control and that we are not. We thank you for who you are and your power, Lord. We love you. We give our lives to you. In your holy, holy, holy heavenly name we pray. Amen.